Hello, and welcome to Strategy Driven. I'm Nathan Ives, host of the Strategy Driven Podcast. In this video, we'll explore the answer to the question, what is diversity and inclusion? Now, the concept of diversity and inclusion is one that is difficult to define in quantitative terms. And so our discussion will begin with a qualitative explanation of what strategy-driven believes diversity and inclusion represents. We'll then go on to provide examples of what diversity and inclusion looks like in action within an organization. Next, we'll refine our definition with a discussion of what diversity and inclusion is not. And finally, we'll share with you what benefits we believe diverse and inclusive organizations realize over their peers who do not share these same values. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. So what is diversity and inclusion? Strategy-driven believes that organizations are diverse and inclusive when all the members of the organization, and that includes the executives, the managers, the supervisors, and individual contributors, act in a manner that recognizes and respects the individual similarities and differences of all employees, such that they feel that they and their work is valued and meaningfully contributes to the achievement of the organization's mission. Now, as we said in the opening, that definition is highly conceptual. And so the question then becomes, what does it look like if you were to walk into an organization that is truly diverse and inclusive, what would you see? In our experience, you would see a meritocracy, an organization where performance is factually assessed. And when we say factually assessed, what we mean is that it's tangible, it's observable, it's measurable. The assessment is against predefined and measurable standards that are uniformly applied to all the employees. There's no bias or preferential treatment given to any employee. Everyone is held accountable to the same predefined standards. And remember, they're predefined, meaning we don't change the game after the game's already started, because that too may present a preferential bias in favor of one employee group or a class of employees. Now, when we talk about factually assessing predefined and measurable standards, keep in mind that there's a feedback component with that as well. And this goes beyond an annual performance review or a semi-annual performance review and is really a ongoing feedback to the employee as to how he or she is performing against these predefined standards. 
and that feedback can come from managers and supervisors. It can also come from peers and subordinates. It really can come from any source within the organization. But it's important that the feedback be factual and be constructive, not critical and not destructive of the person. The second half of this meritocracy is the providing of equitable rewards that are distributed based on the individual's performance. The operable word here is equitable. So what are equitable rewards? Well, equitable rewards are something that is of value to the individual and comparable in cost to the organization with respect to the rewards they provide others in compensation for similar performance. Herein lies the quandary between what most of us know as the golden rule to treat others as you would have them treat you and the platinum rule to treat others as they would want you to treat them. You see, the fallacy with the golden rule is that we're all individuals. We all have unique preferences. We all value things differently. I might be an individual who likes public recognition. That same public recognition may be a punishment to another individual. And so we don't simply want to treat everyone the same in a one-size-fits-all manner in the way we would want to be treated, but rather we want to equitably reward them by providing something to them that they value and that its cost to the organization is what is comparable with respect to what we provide others again for similar performance. So let's for a moment think of several different types of rewards and how they might be equated. First, let's think of pay and benefits. Maybe one individual values monetary compensation, a bonus. Another may value time, extra vacation days. Certainly, we can translate vacation days into a monetary value. And so, we can quickly see that we can give one person, the person that values monetary compensation, a bonus and provide another individual who values time, days off, and still provide an equitable reward that has the similar cost to the company in either case. Next, let's think about promotions and desirable assignments. Again, some individuals may aspire to increasing levels of responsibility. Others may wish to be more well-rounded 
to seek challenges in other areas of the organizations and may wish to have more of a lateral developmental transfer rather than a vertical promotion. Still others may wish to participate in decision-making. Decision-making that enables them to have more control over the work that they currently do, control over their time. They may not wish to have a promotion where they become responsible for others, but again rather have increased participation in decision-making so that they have greater control over their own work within the organization. And lastly, of course, we've already talked about recognition, where some may wish to have very public recognition and others may be happier if that recognition is provided in private. Now we've discussed conceptually what diversity and inclusion is and we've provided some examples of what we might observe in an organization that embraces diversity and inclusion. I think it's helpful though to also ask what is it not? So let's talk about some things that are not diversity and inclusion so that we have another set of boundaries around the concept that we're talking about. Now the first two items I would like to talk about are one, affirmative action, and two, equal employment opportunity. Now these are regulatory requirements and they speak in a very statistical manner to opportunities to be provided to various classes of individuals. These are not performance-based requirements. They also don't draw out of individuals the richness of their perspectives, their thoughts, their backgrounds. They don't foster respect for one another, a value for what an individual brings to an organization. They are statistical regulatory requirements. And so certainly organizations that are diverse and inclusive should always meet, in fact every organization should always meet the requirements of affirmative action and equal employment opportunity. But a diverse and inclusive organization is so much more. So much more rich in its experience, rich in its culture, that these regulatory requirements simply can't begin to describe the culture that is diversity and inclusion. And in fact, if you are simply meeting the affirmative action and equal employment opportunity requirements, your organization is very likely not very diverse or inclusive. The third boundary that I'd like to talk about is that an organization that does forced or coerced redistribution of corporate power, wealth, or benefits is also not diverse and inclusive. Diversity and inclusion is not about having a system of 
haves and have-nots. It's not about taking from one group and giving it to another. It's about opportunity. It's about rewards and recognition and providing respect and value to all individuals and returning to them the corporate power, the wealth, and the benefits based on their performance and contribution to the organization. Anything that is forced or coerced is by definition reflective of a bias. It is an intentional deliberate act that takes from one group and provides to another. That's not diverse and it's not inclusive. Now to finish our discussion, I'd like to talk a little bit about the benefits that an organization that is diverse and inclusive realizes. And in fact, these organizations realize tremendous social and economic benefits over their peers who don't share their values. Now the first benefit is that of higher sales. You see, when an organization is diverse and inclusive and it makes people feel valued, first off, they're a better representative to the public at large for their company. They're not only better at promoting their company to the outside world, but they're also better at drawing in superior talent into their organization. The sales aren't just the products and services the company makes, but the selling of the company to top talent to come and join the company to help it advance ahead of its peers. Certainly those that feel valued contribute their pers unique perspectives, individual creativity to the organization, and are able to connect with individuals who are similar to them in the outside world. And I'm not referring s simply to similar based on an observable difference, but rather similar in the full sense and full richness of what similar means. Similar in not just background or, again, uh, physical attribute, but similar in thought and perspective. And all of these relationships, internal and external to the organization, will drive sales to be much, much higher. Next is enhanced productivity. When a person feels valued by the organization and their peers and their subordinates and the people who are senior to them, they work harder. They work smarter. They're engaged. And time and again, studies done by organizations such as the Gallup organization show that those people who feel valued and connected to their organizations are far more productive than those who have no connections or simply a few connections. People who are feel valued, people who have a friend at work, someone who cares about them and their well-being. They are productive 
far more so than in any other organization. Which leads us to our third benefit, an increase in discretionary effort. This is the effort that isn't required to be put forth by anyone, but instead is offered by an individual. Maybe it's some extra work after hours or work earlier in the morning. It might be helping someone across the organization. Not because, again, it's mandated or part of one's job description, but rather because the person wants to, because they have a connection to the organization and their peers, and they view the organization's success as being part of their own success. They are fully engaged. Now, discretionary effort speaks to a physical work effort. Our fourth benefit speaks to an intellectual one. When someone feels valued and that they're meaningfully contributing to the organization's success, they're more likely to contribute the full measure of their intellectual capacity, their creativity to the organization, to suggest better ways of doing work, new products. They're willing to give the feedback that they're receiving from various customers and clients. This intellectual contribution brings about opportunities to explore new marketplaces, new market segments, and adds benefit to the organization that, again, organizations that aren't diverse and inclusive just don't realize. Diverse and inclusive organizations also have fewer work distractions. Let's think about it. If I work in an organization where I'm not cared for, where the atmosphere might even be a little hostile, then I might tend to gossip more around the water cooler. I'm distracted by watching the clock waiting for the end of the workday so that I can go home to an environment where I am cared for, where I do have friends. These distractions are poisonous to an organization and they sap the productivity out of any work group. Certainly, diverse and inclusive organizations where people want to go to work, they look forward to the opportunity to reconnect with individuals who value them, has fewer distractions, and therefore further increases in productivity. And lastly, they have lower attrition. When people are valued and they are connected to their peers, seniors, and subordinates, they don't want to leave the organization. At the other end of the spectrum, those organizations that are not diverse and inclusive tend to drive people away. They certainly open the door because individuals may face a hostile work environment. They at least face one where they're not valued. And so they have a lack of connection to the organization and are very likely to take the first opportunity that comes along to go to another organization where they may have a greater sense of connection and belonging. Studies have shown that the 
average replacement cost for a knowledge worker is one year's salary. So let's think about it. The average employee in the United States makes $60,000 a year. If that individual leaves the company, that act alone costs the organization $60,000. That covers overtime or certainly the extra stress and pressure that's put on others to make up for the time the person ha uh, is gone and, and a replacement is to be found and that the replacement is coming up to speed in a productivity sense. Then there's the recruiters that have to be paid, the advertisements, the times that managers have to spend in interviews. Then with the offer is usually a bonus to entice the person to join the organization. And once they're a part of the organization, there's the onboarding training, the slow and gradual rise in productivity. All of this adds up to reflect that roughly annual salary of a person in that position, a very significant cost to the organization. I hope this video has benefited you and encourages you to learn more. So I would like to invite you to join me and the other strategy-driven contributors on our website www.strategydriven.com to learn more about diversity and inclusion. On our website, we'll provide an even more in-depth view as to what diversity and inclusion is. We'll also explore how your workplace environment reveals your corporate values. You know, the values of the group are reflected in their behaviors and become embedded in their processes and procedures which further drives what the organization does. And so by examining the workplace environment you can learn a lot about what your corporate values say. And so we provide insight as to how to make that look at your organization. We've talked about social and economic value that diversity and inclusion brings to an organization will help you to actually calculate that return on investment. It is tremendous and in my experience there will be no other initiative that will yield a greater return on investment than one that furthers the diversity and inclusiveness of an organization and garners a greater level of employee engagement. And then as with every category on strategy driven, we'll also provide you with additional principles, best practice and warning flag articles to provide a complete and rich picture of the diversity and inclusive title. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this video edition of the strategy driven podcast. If you enjoyed the show, 
please consider visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com and signing up for our monthly newsletter. Also, we hope you'll introduce us to your family, friends, and colleagues via Facebook, YouTube, and iTunes. As always, we greatly appreciate receiving your feedback via email at videos at strategydriven.com. Until next time, so long.